having gone into agriculture in California, it's a pretty determined career path. You kind of know what it's going to look like. But here, there's a lot of opportunities, very emerging market. We're really excited about the potential. We kind of say, if, if you can do it here, then you could do it anywhere. Maybe the advice would be to other expats, get out of the big cities, get out to the rural areas, do something creative. There's a lot more of China than just those big first tier cities. We're not doing this for nothing. And at the very least, you know, people are having a chance to eat food that can help their bodies stay healthy. That's a return on investment. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Hello and welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. In this episode of our special series, My Expat Life in Rural China, we meet Morgan Jones and Daniel Willers from the United States. In fact, I'm sitting down in a greenhouse of their farm called Original in Xining, the provincial capital of Qinghai province in northwest China, for a chat about their lives in pursuing organic agriculture in the country. Thank you for hosting us, um, Morgan and um, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. It's glad good, glad to have you guys here. Fun. And yeah. welcome to the show. So first of all, would you please introduce yourselves a little bit? What's your role in the company and what were you up to before coming to China? And what brought you to China in the first place? Shall we start with uh, Daniel, please? Yeah, so uh, my name is Daniel Willers. I'm originally from the southeastern United States. Uh, but ever since I was a teenager, I uh, got a chance to go to the western U.S., to the Rocky Mountains. And the, uh, the high altitude, beautiful mountain scenery really captured my heart at that young age. Yeah, so I was able to work in a career in landscape architecture for a few years. Uh, and then uh, my wife and I uh, learned about Qinghai, learned about uh, these places in the world that have these wonderful mountains and high elevation uh, areas and decided that we would love to uh, have a chance to raise our kids in another country, another culture, and, and just really enjoy experiencing the world for ourselves. And so in the end, uh, after a process of several years, we, we found ourselves here, here in Xining and uh, joined this company in 2018, actually. Mm. Uh, Morgan, I understand you came mm -hmm. to China earlier than uh, Daniel, right? Yeah, my family and I came in 2009, mm -hmm. uh, moved here to Qinghai. So I'm originally from California, uh, a large agricultural state in, in the United States. And I've been involved in agriculture my entire life. Mm. Uh, grew up in it, uh, studied it, was involved in it before coming here. But the agriculture industry is very developed in, in the U.S. Um, and so I was interested in more of an opportunity in an emerging mm. agricultural industry. And that is what initially led us to China. And uh, yeah, so we're here with our, our family, uh, my family, my four kids here in uh, Shinny. Mm. Like you just mentioned, uh, agriculture in the States are, is very developed. Mm -hmm. There are also many other countries good at agriculture, such as uh, Argentina and Brazil, which are closer to your home country, right? I believe your, your friends and family have also asked you the same question. <laughs> Why did you choose China, Daniel? You know, you can't get any higher in the world than the Qinghai Tibetan Plateau. And, that's more difficult and, for uh, agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's just one of the personal passions of mine. And um, 
Yeah, it was it was a lot of options. You know, the world's a big place. Where do you go? But one thing led to another, and here we are. Morgan. Well, in being involved in agriculture in California, we grow a lot of products for export to China. A lot of、uh, fruits, a lot of nuts. California, we grow you know a huge portion of the world's pistachios, and China buys almost all of them. So we always saw China as an important market for agriculture in California,、um, but it's not so easy to grow fresh produce and ship to China. So seeing an opportunity to be involved in fruit and vegetable production in China、uh, was interesting. Something different than you know having having gone into agriculture in California. It's a pretty determined career path. You kind of know what it's going to look like. Uh, but here, there's a lot of opportunities. Very emerging market, and、um, yeah, I think having the opportunity to raise my kids overseas, giving them the opportunity to learn Chinese, you know, to to speak it fluently, is just a great opportunity to really enlarge their worldview. So, why not China?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you said, yes, China is a big country of agriculture, and there are many large agricultural provinces in China. But why did you choose? Qinghai,、uh, where the agriculture or cultivation industry is less developed. Why don't you choose some、uh, some place closer to the first tier cities like Beijing, Shanghai, with stronger consumption power? Or haven't you considered this will bring more uncertainty to your product sales?、Uh, maybe Morgan.、Uh, it's a good question.、Um, one we we think about often. <laughs> one we get asked often.、Yeah. I think before moving to to Qinghai. I had the opportunity to visit many different places in China, all the big cities,、um, the the main agricultural areas, and being from a rural background,、um, those big cities are just not really the lifestyle that I'm used to or、mm-hmm. that I want. And there's just something quite unique about Qinghai:、um, the mountains, the ethnic diversity, you know, the beautiful weather in the summers. The summers here. Is really the best place in in China,、um, and like you said, there's other areas that already have a developed agricultural industry in、mm. China, but seeing the opportunity here that nobody's doing、uh, much with fruit and vegetable production here, so yeah, we saw an opportunity. We liked the place. You know, it, it's a nice place to live. So. Then has the location of Xining or Qinghai caused any problems for, especially for Daniel, you know, to do the marketing or? Yeah, I mean, for organic products, I would say that that we're still a bit ahead of the market in Qinghai here.、Um, it, it's kind of something that we're developing as our farm is developing, kind of creating a market for our products, and so they're definitely. You know some challenges involved with that, but actually, interestingly enough, you know the we just came out of the pandemic the past few years, and we found that it, as people were more concerned about their health,、uh, there became more and more interest in the local consumers about having this organic, fresh produce straight from farm to their table. It's it's kind of yeah something we talk about. We want to like increase our production, increase our customers, and keep it balanced as we slowly grow. And Daniel, how did you manage to solve the problem? Solve the problem. Solve the problem. <laughs> It's never been solved. One of the one of the things you learn quickly about agriculture, but really anything in life, is that there will always be challenges.、Mm. And so, it's not that we're trying to get rid of challenges, but how do you meet those challenges? And I think it really all starts with our production, which all starts with our soil. We'll talk about that in a bit, maybe. But 
As the local customers become more uh, health conscious, uh, they're more interested in our product. As uh, they get a chance to try mm. our fruits and vegetables, they say, wow, this is, this is so fresh, so tasty. It's way better than anything we can get in the market. And so it just kind of is a process that uh, happens over time. Mm -hmm. Another thing about agriculture is, is, you know, in the States we talk sometimes about is seeing a, a microwave culture. We just want everything instantly. And in agriculture, that's great if you use chemical fertilizers and, and pesticides. It can be a lot faster. But when you're doing stuff organically, it, it can sometimes be a longer process. Mm. And so we're just aware of that. And so it's not something that we have to solve immediately. But as our farm grows, our customers grow, and we can kind of grow together. Mm, but, I mean, your customers or, or clients, are they limited to Qinghai or Xining to the city? Or do you have any clients like far in the east or east coast or, or uh, northern part of the country, like Beijing, Shanghai? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we really like about what we're doing is the opportunity to provide uh, locally grown fresh produce to mm -hmm. our customers. And so I would say the, the majority of our customers are here local in, in the city. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have a few around the country that one way or another, they heard about us and, and they really love our product. And so we have, we've shipped stuff to uh, Shanghai, to Guangzhou, to... Chengdu. We do have a few in Lanzhou, which is, is about three hours drive away or so. Mm. But really, our focus is on our local market. And then if people outside of that are interested, we'll, we'll offer them our, our products as well. Mm. Right. And Morgan, what are your farm products and how much have you invested in this farm so far? Um, we grow 30 to 40 different types of fresh produce. That, that's the main focus. Mm. Mainly vegetables, um, though we do grow... Um, strawberries, we, we can grow those year-round, and then we grow some, some fruit products uh, in the summer. Uh, but yeah, vegetable production is, is the main one. We also uh, sell some kind of specialty Qinghai products, uh, local honey, as well as quinoa, which is an exciting crop that is starting to be produced here in Qinghai. So we sell those. And then we also have started a small kind of a takeout-style restaurant. And with that, we're able to use some of our farm products that we can't sell fresh, mm. but we can dry them or we can, you know, do some, some processing of them and then sell some additional products that way. Anything to add? He's more of the... the Your investment. Yeah. How much have you invested? Oh, yeah, the investment, 100,000 US dollars is the registered capital of our company. Um, and then we've invested a lot of... A lot of hard work, right? And a lot of sweat. Definitely, I think, I think the term is sweat equity. Is sweat equity, sweat equity. Yeah. quite a significant investment? <laughs> uh, that's true. But then to Daniel again, who are your main clients, and how many clients do you have now, and what percentage of them are loyal customers, including these birds? Birds, a little bit. They, they are. They don't, yeah, they're not paying customers. <laughs> <laughs> they consume a lot. Yeah, here. we we have um, every week forty to fifty orders. And of those 40 to 50 orders, I would say probably 80% are, are loyal customers. Mm. Um, and then the other 20% kind of varies from week to week. Uh, but we definitely have people that order every week or, or even order twice a week. We also are starting to provide to a few restaurants, coffee shops, bakeries, different things like that. Uh, you know, we grow some uh, Western herbs and so something like rosemary or basil or whatever, mm. uh, you know, these are things that are really hard to find outside of our farm. 
And so some of these local bakeries enjoy using these unique seasonings and flavors in their products. Mm. And of those uh, loyal customers, what kind of a veggies are they maybe among their favorite? I think everybody has their own favorite. Okay. You know, but what's a, a really popular uh, product we sell is our salad mix. So we have uh, several different varieties of leafy greens. A lot of people enjoy carrots, mm-hmm. tomatoes. Uh, when when tomatoes are in season, uh, they're they're really popular as well. Mm. And uh, I'm asking the next question on behalf of uh, one of our cameramen, uh, Li Xiaohai. There, mm-hmm. um, his family is running a family farm of fifty、um, three hectares, basically some forty times the size of your farm.、Mm. So, after seeing what you've been working on and your yields, he couldn't help but ask: Is the revenue from your farm enough to support the expenses of Two families of yours and cover the salaries of your employees. Then, what would be your answer to him? Short answer: Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I mentioned before, it's、mm-hmm. a process. We would say normally from three to seven years before we expect to see、uh, the farm producing at its optimum level.、Mm-hmm. And so,、uh, I would say because of the past three years and different factors. Uh, you could say we're maybe two to three years into that process, realistically, and so it's another one of those things that we knew getting into this. It's just going to take a bit more time,、mm. and so we're okay with that. And in the meantime, we have resources available to keep things going. And、um, but yeah, the other thing I I think our farm is really designed. Maybe Morgan, you can speak to this a little more, but as As a small farm model, that would be for one or two local families.、Mm. Yeah, yeah. The size of this farm、um, is really more ideal to support two or three families,、right. you know, employees. But there's a lot of other things our company does、um, that requires more people. So you know, talking about creating a market here. So you know, it's almost like we have a whole marketing division, whereas that is unique to. A farm, you know, typically, like in in California, in the states where I'm from, you know, a a farm will grow the the produce, and then there's a whole nother business that does the marketing, the packing, the shipping, all of that, where we're doing that all within our business. And then on the other side, we're we're almost like a whole research and development division as well, where we're researching new crops, new varieties that we think will work in this climate. Um, so this farm here is is kind of the model that we're developing to try and figure out all of that. What、mm. are the crops you grow? How do you do the marketing? How do you do the sales, the deliveries,、um, so that then we can take that model and people can learn from it and then reproduce it in in other places. So this small farm here is not enough to completely sustain this company. Yeah, there's also the the technology, right, the equipment, the designing of greenhouses,、um, yeah. and and then、uh, consulting services. So、right. we, we have a, a variety of sort of revenue streams that we're、uh, developing because the goal of this. Location itself is more of a training and demonstration location、mm-hmm. uh, that then can provide these sorts of services to people all, all over the world. Really,、mm, then you're saying you're using it as a like a demonstration、um, to local farmers. You wanted them、yeah. to join in as well. Yeah, local farmers,、um, people that are interested in agriculture around the country,、um, around Southeast Asia. You know, we're really 
excited about the potential we kind of we kind of say if if you can do it here then you could do it anywhere because there are some unique challenges here mm, yeah. indeed now has the growth of your business um come in line with your expectations so far Morgan? um i think in my experience every business that i've observed every business owner i've talked to they're a little more optimistic when they start than, mm. than reality yeah then you get into it and you see the challenges Understanding that agriculture is a long-term business, you know, I think we were not surprised with how it's developed, though, you know, the last three years for, for every business, you know, has been very challenging. And so that really set us back where, you know, we are uh, in this process of really improving the soil and developing a market. Mm. Um, and this last three years really slowed down that, that process. But I don't think we're disappointed or, or really we're expecting it to be way different than what it is now. I think we both went into this knowing that mm. this is not a, a fast process. Mm. Daniel, disappointment is not uh, the same as uh, dissatisfaction. Are you satisfied? As long as we continue to have progress, I'm satisfied. Mm. And I see that. Uh, even in spite of the challenges of the past few years, um, every year I feel like things are getting better and improving. Um, our product's improving, our, our market's improving, and so if we can continue progress, then, then that's, that's, that's what we focus mm. on. Why China instead of other countries? Why the village instead of the city? As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge. Welcome back. We continue our chat with Morgan Jones and Daniel Willers about their lives pursuing organic farming in China's plateau area. Then, Morgan, why did you choose organic farming? How does it differ from a conventional farming? Yeah, that's a good question. My background is not organic farming. Mm. Um, I grew up and was trained in, in more conventional farming where, you know, you take a soil test, you see what what nutrients are lacking in that soil, you develop a fertilizer plant to how to address that, you scout your crops to find out what insects, disease mm. there are, you apply a chemical for that. So that's my background, it, it, not organic farming. When we first started, the goal was not organic farming, but the customers just kept saying it's organic. Mm. And so then we'd have to correct them. We're, well, we're not organic, but it's safe, healthy. Uh, but they just kept saying that. Well, so, why would they believe it's organic because of you? Yeah, maybe because we're foreigners. Right. They figured, I don't really know. Yeah, mm. we, we would say like safe, healthy produce. Right. Because we were using these these inputs as little as possible mm -hmm. you know so in china there's actually a, a category called green food mm. um, it's not organic but it uses less chemicals so we we're probably more in that green mm -hmm. food category i would okay. say originally mm -hmm. yeah so maybe our marketing with safe healthy fresh in the in the customer's mind they say oh organic mm. So after a while, we just kind of looked at each other and, and decided maybe we should just do organic. And also another way to differentiate ourselves, our product, from everything on the local market. So we decided to do it, and then we had to really learn what that means, mm. uh, how to do it. 
because it, it, it really is a different approach where you, it really starts with the soil. So you really have to look at the biology in the soil rather than the, the chemistry. So mm-hmm. it's approaching it from a different perspective. And then once we realized that, then we realized, oh, okay, compost production is very necessary. So we, we got into it doing organic mm-hmm. before we had the compost production. And then we realized most people doing this style of agriculture around the world, they don't necessarily make their own compost. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. buy it from a compost maker. But we started looking at you know what was available locally and came to the conclusion that we were going to have to start the compost production mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. Um, so then that was a whole nother, you know, learning process of how to do that, getting the equipment, learning the process. So as far as difference, the main difference would be the fertilizer it from a biology perspective, right. building the soil biology, mm-hmm. um, introducing and uh, facilitating the microorganisms in the soil Mm. that then make the nutrients available to the plants. Mm. Whereas conventional farming is using chemical inputs to provide nutrients to the plants and then using chemicals to deal with problems that you find, Mm. whether they're disease or insects. Right. How do you deal with those insects then? Yeah. So, I mean, any kind of farming, your, your biggest questions are, Soil fertility, yes. disease pressure, insect pressure. Mm. So those those aren't different in organic fa- uh, farming. Same you might challenges. Add weather to that too. Weather, right? Obviously. Give yeah, us an, like true. a small example. How would you kill the insects? Yeah. So the insects would be, and I think from what I know about other organic farmers, that's the biggest challenge mm. is the insects because there's just not good solutions for it. Yeah. There are some organic sprays you can use but they are not as effective as chemical pesticides. So it really only works on contact. So mm-hmm. if you're able to spray the insect, then it will work. But what we found was, you know, anytime you spray something that's designed to kill insects, it kills the harmful insects, but it also kills the beneficial insects. Mm. And so it's not really a long-term solution to the problem. So we do, we do, there's a plant-derived spray that we use to, to spray insects. Mm. We do use that if we have to, but our approach is more to create a balanced ecosystem. So we're not trying to get rid of all the, the insects uh, because we want the beneficial ones. We want the beneficial ones to control the harmful ones. Mm. So we do things like we plant a lot of flowering things that, that attract beneficial insects uh, and also create a habitat for them to live. Another thing we do is we use uh, pheromone traps. Mm. So it, it puts out a scent that attracts the male species of the harmful insect. Okay. And then the idea is if we catch all the males, then they can't reproduce. So it's not a quick fix. It, you know, it takes time for that. Mm. So those are, yeah, some of the strategies we use. Right. Uh, from what you've just described, it sounds very uh, familiar to me. It feels like you're going back to, mm-hmm. you know, the traditional agricultural method that has been practiced in China for, for several thousand years before the country, um, you know, started turning to chemical technologies um, in the 1980s for, for higher yields. Is that so? Or do you like introduce anything, you know, more advanced to uh, your methods? I think a lot of these practices, you're right, it, it sounds like what, how farmers farmed generations ago. Mm. And that's true not just in China, but other 
uh, countries I've traveled to in Asia and in in America as well. Mm. So the the principles I th- and the practices are quite similar. I think the difference now is we understand more of the science yeah. of why we're doing that. We understand now a, a lot more about soil biology, um, what's happening in the soil with with fungi and bacteria. Mm. But it's true the the practices that that people did farmers used generations ago were building that soil biology, you mm. know, keeping animals on the land, uh, using the, the plant waste. But I think now we understand more of the science of it. So we're able to maybe be a little more a little more specific about the practices we do. But yeah, it is quite interesting. It's really going back to the way people used to farm. Then what's your biggest challenge in your daily work here? Because you are responsible for different um, things with your company. So Daniel, what's your biggest challenge? Yeah, so I do a lot of the more administrative stuff in the company, dealing with the legal compliance issues, looking at uh, potential for future certifications, looking at uh, sales and marketing. You know, I did a lot of work to put together our, our online sales platform, uh, different things like that. And so, honestly, I think it's a, a generational thing for me mm-hmm. um, in that. Uh, you know, I was born in 1980 and when I was a kid, we didn't have computers and smartphones and all these things. Video was, was uh, you know, the, the, the VCR tapes and stuff. And so staying up with the sort of, you know, video, short video and all the different things that are the, the latest and greatest technology for marketing, uh, I think it honestly is a bit challenging for me. I can do it, but maybe I'm a little slow at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think a slow pace is, is good for today, especially, yeah. you know, for um, contemporary life here in China, where everything seems a little bit too fast. Yeah. And Morgan's biggest challenge you've encountered? I think for me, the biggest challenge I face may be due to my personality and maybe some cultural differences. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to have a plan. You know, the beginning of the week, I know what work needs to get done on what day. And oftentimes the culture here just does not operate like that. <laughs> right. And so I will, on a regular basis, somebody will just show up and they want, you know, to have a meeting or they want to, you know, spend time or talk about something. Mm. And, and, and that's uh, my biggest challenge, you know. You want to you want to follow the strict um, like schedule, but they yeah. just everything yeah. happens to randomly. Randomly, yeah. and you know, and it frets, frustrates me that uh, you know people don't contact you know me ahead of time, say set a time. Um, so that is my biggest frustration. I've lived here long enough to to know that's going to happen, and so I should be able to anticipate that and mm. handle that better. But I don't always do it. Then it has. Either of you ever hesitated and felt it was too tough or frustrated, like Morgan just said, and maybe you don't want to continue? I wouldn't say I've never not wanted to continue, mm-hmm. but I will say there's been days where I've wanted to just forget about this whole organic stuff and, <laughs> right. and spray a lot of chemicals and just kill these bugs off. Uh, you know? That would ruin everything um, you've ever done. So, but that's not what we're doing. And so you can't do that. It's not really an option. It's maybe a, a dream or a <laughs> something, but you just know you've got to keep going through the challenge and, mm. and get to the other side of it. Yeah, for me, yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think there's been times where I've wanted to quit. You know, this is what I do. Growing fruits and vegetables is what I do. Um, there have been times where I've thought that maybe this would be easier in a different place. Maybe should go somewhere else. Mm. 
but then you look back at you know what you put into it and it's not so easy to just say oh stop go somewhere else because then you just have to start over start mm-hmm. the process over so definitely been frustrations but nothing that makes us think we want to just quit mm. and even this high altitude of uh, Qinghai like it, it was about uh, like 2200 mm. kilometers above sea right it's not so conducive to crops even this one doesn't like sway you any bit I think we've learned to adapt a little more to okay. the climate It's really the winters that that make things so challenging. Mm. The long, cold winters with very short days. Yeah. And I think some of our frustrations early on was we were really trying to grow crops that were not conducive to that climate. What about the the American cherries? Yeah. So one, you know, going back to this idea of the research and development side of the farm, one of the things we introduced a few years ago, there was a lot of interest in Qinghai about cherries, mm. growing cherries in Qinghai. So we planted them in a few different locations, but that's a very long-term process. You know, The first question is, will the cherries grow? So yeah, the trees grew, they, they grew and established well, but then you get to the, the point where you want them to start producing fruit. And so then you have the, the pollination challenges and then that you know took a couple of years and that's challenging because you only have one chance a year mm. uh, it's not like you just plant another crop and try again um, so we spent then a couple of years trying to figure out the pollination part of it and then after five years we realized okay this climate here where we are is not conducive to cherry production um, now fortunately the, we planted them in another part of Qinghai and we've realized that climate is conducive and we get good cherry production there mm-hmm. um but yeah that's frustrating that's frustrating to spend that many years uh to find out it doesn't work but it, again i think you know we spent a lot of winters trying to figure out how to grow um tomatoes uh over winter and got quite frustrated you know with the challenges of that uh, we haven't given up we still try different things but we we don't spend so much of our time and energy trying to grow a crop in the winter that really needs to be grown in the summer. Mm. Um, so we've adjusted our crop planning a bit to focus more on, on winter crops in the winter, which is what farmers should be doing everywhere. But with the greenhouses, it gives us a little more flexibility. So, so I think adjusting expectations um, has helped some with that, where we're still trying to figure these things out, but not it doesn't become a, a major focus of, of what we're doing. Mm, that sounds a very, you know, philosophical. When things don't meet your expectation, just uh, make some adjustment or lower maybe, expectation. Maybe that's what we need to do, adjust expectations. <laughs> right. yeah. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. All right, we turn to something more general about this country. So having been in China for more than a decade, what's the biggest change you've come across in Xining, Qinghai, or the entire China in general, Daniel? Well, where my home is now uh, used to be fields. Mm. Uh, so we've really seen the city uh, develop quite rapidly. It's actually uh, very impressive how mm-hmm. fast uh, things have changed and developed here. Give us a, like a small example. Yeah, I mean, so we we moved here. Uh, well, we first visited here more than ten years ago, and at that time there was a village and some fields and, and different things. And now there's twenty-eight and thirty-four story uh, high-rise apartment flats. Mm. 
so that's a very, very big change. Also, um, the part of town where we live now has, um, since we moved here eight years ago, there's probably been, you know, four to five shopping malls that opened mm -hmm. in that time. And, and my hometown is 20,000 people, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like Morgan. We're, we're not, for us, Xining is a very big city. Right. For China, it's a pretty small city. Xining's got like two million people? Yeah, yeah two million two. or mm. so. And so it's, it's really actually convenient in some ways mm -hmm. to have a city life. But it is a lot more pressure and a lot more stress. And so uh, being able to get out here to the farm and to these more rural areas really is life-giving. Mm. One of the beautiful things about Qinghai is the grasslands. And these high-altitude uh, rolling hills and mountains, uh, this very pastoral scene, used to take hours and hours to get there mm -hmm. uh, driving by car. But now with the infrastructure development that's happened these past few years, there's a lot of new highways, uh, bridges and tunnels and, and really incredible engineering. And now you can get there in less than half the time that it was in the old days. And so that's really been impressive to see. Mm. And Morgan's observation? I remember before we moved to China, my wife and I had to wean ourselves off of coffee because you just couldn't get coffee here. But now... There's coffee shops on every corner, mm -hmm. even in a city like Xining. So that's a just an example of how quickly things have changed. And then also online, you know, shopping makes things very convenient for us because it gives us access to products that, you know, little comfort things, cheese, you know, is something that we could never get, you mm -hmm. know, in the in the early days of living here. But now we can very easily order these things on Taobao and even I remember the first few years trying to find Christmas presents for our kids. Right. And just the challenge of that. But now with online shopping, there's, there's so much convenience. Now, I will say, um, as foreigners, everything moving digitally and to an online presence mm. creates more and more challenges as foreigners because we don't have a shimp and gin. Right. And most things are set up. And you have to have a shimp and gin. Right. But so if you got a, like this a bank account, I think that'll do, right? Well, a lot of these apps and different platforms, when they develop them, they develop it for the local people. Mm. Um, but not really thinking, oh, foreigners might also need to use this. Right. So they're just not set up if you don't have a shimp and gin. Mm. So anyway, something that uh, is... Uh, Creates some challenges. Right. Hopefully, they can they can make some here. improvement there. Yeah. Yeah. And what about rural uh, development? You've been traveling to, or actually very close to rural areas, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Morgan, you you said you're going to go camping somewhere mm -hmm. in the wilderness. And um, what's your observation about that? Yeah, I think the development also. I mean, uh, Daniel mentioned the infrastructure, but that's one yeah. thing. As I've traveled around. Um, I've traveled a lot in Asia mm -hmm. um, and seen the China did it, has done a very good job of developing infrastructure, roads, highways, bridges, you know, rail lines. Um, so that makes these rural areas much easier to get to and therefore brings development to those areas. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I when we first started farming, we had some greenhouses in a in a much smaller village. And I remember uh, going out there and. I think I mentioned this to the crew actually the other day during lunch. You couldn't get rice. You go to a restaurant, you want rice, mm. didn't have it, only noodles. Um, whereas now we go to, you know, the village where we grow uh, cherries, I can get, you know, anything, you know, rice, noodles, 
any kind of food, you know, hogo, mm-hmm. even the Xi'an. Right. They have a Xi'an Yanro Palmoa restaurant in this little village. You know, it's hard to explain it in English. Uh, it's like a some specialty dole. dish from Xi'an. Right. That I mean, used to be years ago, you only got that when you went to Xi'an. But now, this little village in Qinghai, you can you can get that that Xi'an specialty, no problem. So yeah, even the rural areas, just the the speed of the development is quite quite uh, impressive. Yeah. So, what would be your suggestion for the sustainable development of China's agriculture, organic farming in particular, uh, Daniel? Yeah, I, I do see. You know, the pattern of development China has taken is very similar to many countries around the world. But I think the difference is a couple things. One is is they have the examples of other countries to kind of learn from and improve on.、Mm. But two is also the pace at which it's happened. And so, you know, we see worldwide these few years this co- sort of migration to the cities,、uh, because everybody thinks、uh, you have a better life in the cities. But actually, a lot of people get there and they discover maybe it's not as good of a life as I was hoping for. That just the pressures are greater. Maybe you make more money, but your expenses are higher. And and so I think、um, one thing that we really want to see happening is that, and I think it is happening. But、uh, people put more and more of a value on these rural areas and on agriculture.、Mm-hmm. Uh, just that, you know, if agriculture is almost like the foundation of a civilization, right? If if your people don't have food, then your country can't develop and grow. Right. And so it's really a very important part of life. And I think a lot of times around the world, farmers get looked down upon as being these kind of uneducated, low-class people. But really, they're such a, a valuable part of society, and so I think for me is just that that society as a whole puts more and more value on farmers and on agriculture.、Mm. I, I know that's a not exactly your question, but I think that's an important part of the process of seeing sustainable agriculture development. It's、I、just the value of it. You've answered it. Yeah, yeah Morgan. Um, if I can use an example from my country, yep.、Um, one thing that. Happened in the rural development、uh, because America also, you know, had this issue、uh, many years ago—a、mm. uh, migration of people to urban centers—and、um, then recognizing we need to do something to develop the rural areas. One aspect of that related to agriculture was there the universities. Every state there's a university; they call them land grant universities,、mm. and they would、uh, have in rural areas. Uh, attached to the universities, basically demonstration farms,、mm-hmm. where they would take w- the research that w- was being done at the universities and do that in the rural areas. So then the local farmers had access to the best new practices, the best new varieties. So something like that, I think, could be really key to China's rural development in- related to agriculture. Because I do see a big disconnect between, you know, the experts doing the research. And then that research actually getting to the farmers that it can influence their practices.、Um, so that would be one one example. Another thing I, I think would be more for consumers. I jokingly am frustrated at times when I see, oftentimes people are are willing to spend a lot of money on the newest cell phone, for mm, example, mm. or the the newest purse, you know, but they're not willing to pay just a few more mao for. Healthy organic produce,、mm. and so that I think is something for consumers. 
take more interest in where your food comes from. Buy local food. Buy directly from farmers. Even if it means you're spending a little more money, mm. that will give the farmers the incentive to do organic, to not just you know, use the, the what's currently being done mm. uh, because they're trying to increase their yields because the margins are so low. Um, I think that's becoming a, a trend, especially yeah. among uh, the middle class, in, yeah. especially in cities, right? But you're I saying, think so. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And one thing we've learned is that, that we're always thinking of what happens in those first tier cities. Mm. Um, within a few years, that's happening throughout the country. So it is, it is a good trend that we're seeing. Mm. So another trend we are observing uh, these years is the, an increasing number of college graduates taking up farming in rural areas amid the country's rural revitalization drive. What's your evaluation of, of such a phenomenon and what would be your advice for them? Daniel? Well, I think it's something we see all over the world, actually. Yeah. Just kind of people our age and younger wanting to get back to the land, get mm. back to nature. Yeah. And, and honestly, our parents' generation in the States, there was a few people that were really into that, but it's, it's becoming more and more mainstream. And I think what people are realizing is that we don't have to have these large industrial-scale farms to make a living, uh, especially with the organic agriculture you can make a living with a small farm. Mm. There's many people all over the world that have done it with a place even smaller than we have. Yeah. And maybe they're not doing all the other stuff we are, but uh, it is possible. And so I think, you know, for those people that are interested in agriculture, it doesn't hurt to give it a try, but mm. you also need to have your expectations managed. <laughs> you need to realize that this is not going to be a quick fix, an overnight success. And, and so that it takes a, a sort of certain, I don't know, personality or character traits or something to be able to stick with it through the challenges and, and get to the other side and see the successes. Mm. You need to have the, like, this personality like you too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Perseverance. Right. You need a lot of perseverance. Mm. Um, I think it's great, that, that trend. And I think that's really what we are anticipating more and more of that and why we're really trying to develop this model that you know, has a lot of the components that a, a person would need to be able to do that, where we figured out the pieces that necessary mm -hmm. and someone could come and learn from us and then be able to take that. And, um, you know, because I think this model, honestly, I think it will work anywhere in the world, rural, urban, high elevation, tropical. I, I think this will work anywhere in the world. And so that's something that we're very interested in uh, being a part of promoting that uh, through this farm model here. So I think it's great. Yeah. Mm. Very encouraged by it. Right. Then looking back, what do you appreciate the most and or regret the most so far about living in rural China? Good question. Thoughts? It's so hard. <laughs> I think this isn't necessarily related to rural China, mm. um, but I think probably one of the, the, the I don't think I'm alone in this, but right. with expats is the taking the time to really learn the language well in the early days mm. that now we're, we're, we're so busy with everything, don't have the opportunity to just stop and do more formal language training. But you did, like, you did for three years, right? I did for three years, but mm. you can't learn Chinese in three years. <laughs> <laughs> Not with kids, at least. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah uh, challenging right. with young kids mm. as well. So that would be my, my greatest regret, you know, 
is maybe doing the language learning a bit differently. Though I'm I'm always learning more and and working up here, you know, always improving language. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I think greatest, you know, what I appreciate is the worldview I've been able to give my kids mm. and the opportunity of, of growing up here uh, in China, but also being able to travel and, and to really understand different cultures, uh, understand why cultures develop certain ways. Mm. So yeah, just you know, very happy that we're able to give my kids that opportunity growing up. Mm. And Daniel? Yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, my hometown is a rural area. I, most of my relatives were involved in agriculture in one form or another. Mm. And so one of the things we really love about Xining is even though it's it's quite an urbanized city, it's very easy to get to the rural areas. Yeah. Um, the distance is not that far. You mm. know, within an hour or two, you can forget you were ever in a city. And that's one of the things that we really love because we yeah we're not city people it's just the reality of our life of where we live at this season and time but really our our enjoyment our our refreshment our life it's more about these rural areas and there's really special places uh, we haven't seen even probably one percent of mm. the amazing places in this country or even the world but yeah, we do really enjoy just the chance to learn new things, to meet new people, uh, even with the business to kind of take the local wisdom and the modern technology and science and, and put them together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, regrets? Yeah, I maybe just would be nice if we could get out more than we do. What do you mean? Out of the city uh, and, and right. travel more, see more places. And it's not a regret necessarily, but it's maybe something we'd like to shift a little bit in the future and i i think now that we're kind of coming out of this this pandemic season we'll have more and more opportunities we've got uh different people we're connecting with all over the country that are interested in what we're doing uh they want to learn more about compost or learn more about regenerative organic agriculture and so uh, we can sort of mix uh, business with pleasure mm. and, and go see these new places, but also meet new contacts and promote this, uh, yeah, this farm model or this style of agriculture. Mm. You talked about some uh, more uh, alternatives. Well, if the return of your plateau organic farming business still f- falls short of uh, your expectations in the next, say, five years, um, do you have any other backup plans? I think... Whatever we do in the future, it's it's who can say. But I think we still want to be involved in agriculture at some mm-hmm. point. You know, I, I could see ourselves even in, in retirement, yeah. years down the road, still doing some kind of small farming or, or different things somewhere mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think we're pretty confident, actually, that we're going to see the the end result of all of our you know, sweat equity, right. um, bearing a return on investment in the coming years. And I think that's part of what keeps us going too, is mm-hmm. knowing that we're not doing this for, for nothing. And at the very least, you know, people are having a chance to eat food that can help their bodies stay healthy. And that's a, that's a return on investment right there. That's true. You know, it's not all about the, the financial side of things. We want to talk about the planet, and we want to talk about people, and we want to talk about profit. Like, all these things are important. Mm. And and we've already started to see, I think, 
those returns happening outside of the profit one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just listen. There's there's birds around here that when we started a few years ago, you there was not as much wildlife um. in this little area. Um, and so we're already seeing the planet kind of making progress and being improved. And that's rewarding. You know, seeing our employees having kids and building a family, that's rewarding. Is just being part of their process of life. And so, uh, yeah, it's important to make profit, but that, that will come. Mm. And in the meantime, we already see a lot of cool things happening. Mm. But in the States, actually, we've seen some, uh, you know, small farms, their living space has been uh, increasingly squeezed, you know. Um, some even go bankrupt, uh, especially after the three-year COVID pandemic. So, Morgan, are you worried about a similar scenario in China? Uh, it is true. Um, over the last several years, farms in America have consolidated more and more. I think what we're doing, this style of farming, those farms are are growing all the time because it gives people a lot more access to agriculture without needing a huge amount of farmland. Mm-hmm. One thing we say in agriculture, agriculture is a is a recession-proof industry. The reality is people will always need to eat. And here in China, fresh vegetables are such an important part of the diet. Mm. Um, I don't really see demand for uh, fresh produce going down over the next five years. So I think we're quite confident that it will continue to grow And, you know, just talking about, you know, young people and being more interested in agriculture, um, I think we're in a good position Mm -hmm. over the next five years. But like Daniel said, we don't necessarily know what it'll look like, but we will be involved in some aspect of of this style of farming uh, for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. But what people can consume like daily is closely related to their income, right, related to the country's economy. Many people initially had full confidence, like you just said, in China's economic recovery after the pandemic. But due to weakening demand, both at home and abroad, China's economic performance so far this year has not turned out to be that impressive. So are you too worried about the future? You know, economic cycles come and go. It's mm. it's a part of life. And so I think, yeah, we're, we're in a good position of you know, being able to persevere through challenges and economic challenges are, are just a challenge as much as insects and diseases mm-hmm. are a challenge. And so it's just another type of challenge. And how are you going to get through it? Be creative, think outside the box, adapt to the market. You know, one of the things, it's kind of funny, we get a lot of feedback sometimes about our price points. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say your prices are too low. You're not valuing your product enough. Mm-hmm. And then others say your prices are too high. We mm-hmm. can't afford your product. But we, we really haven't wanted to make our prices too high that they're not affordable for the average person. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think um, it's comparable, you know, if somebody goes to a, a supermarket to buy their vegetables instead of a morning market. Mm-hmm. You know, the morning market's the cheapest price you can find. Uh, supermarkets probably the most expensive price you can find. I'd say we're we're competitive in in those ranges. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. We do see. I think the way I think people maybe were overly optimistic at how fast the economy would come back after you know the last several years. What I have noticed is people don't eat out as much. People don't like here. the The price of of meat has gone down considerably、mm. because there isn't as much demand. People aren't buying things like meat, 
Um, but fresh produce, we've only seen an increase in demand for our products. That's good. Uh, because people are, are becoming more health conscious. Right. Yeah, after the pandemic. Mm. And last little bit, um, maybe something you want to share with uh, your countrymen or other expats living here in China, something or advice or anything you want to share with them? Morning, can you go first? Can you think of any right now? Um, advice for expats living in China. Or, or anything or your experience you want to share with them or, you know, probably some uh, something you want to remind them uh-huh. about living in China. Well, anything. I guess maybe I was in a... I was in Shanghai recently at a restaurant and the waiter was actually a foreigner and they were trying to get me to sign up for their reward thing. You know, you, you put enough money on, on your account, you get these benefits, all that. And I had to tell him three or four times, I don't live in Shanghai. I, I just travel here regularly. So I don't really think I'm, I'm, I want to put that much money on anyway. Finally, he, he was like, oh, you don't live in Shanghai? I've never met an expat that didn't live in Shanghai. Uh. Now, he hadn't been there very long, but, but maybe the advice would be to uh, other expats, get out of the big cities. You know, there's a, there's a lot of China to experience. Get out to the rural areas. Do something creative. Find something, you know, a need that, that isn't being met there and uh, try and meet it. Mm. There's a lot more of, of China than just those big first-tier cities. Good. Daniel? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been fortunate to travel around the world a bit, not to hundreds of countries or anything like mm. that, but to, to several countries. And I just really enjoy learning about new people, new things, new cultures. Even here at the farm, we're always learning, you know. So I, I think one thing that's important to remember is just to be willing to learn. Mm. And one of the things I, ha- I have learned is that wherever you go in the world, people are still people. You know, maybe their country is this country, or their culture is that culture, or their language is that language. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all just people. Mm-hmm. And we should enjoy learning about each other and experiencing each other's lives. I think that brings so much richness to life, is, is um, being willing to kind of look past our own little piece of the world and see what else is out there to discover and, and enjoy and to learn from. You know, we don't want to just be like the foreigner saying, oh, I know all the best ways to do stuff, but we want to be learning from, from the local people too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's, there's a lot of value in that. Thank you very much for sharing your stories uh, with our listeners. Actually, it's quite eye-opening for us over the past few days. Thanks a lot, Daniel and Morgan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank all of you guys yeah, appreciate for coming. You. Yeah. With that, we wrap up our chat. If you have any comments on the topic of this show, please feel free to message us. You can find us on all major podcast platforms or send us an email to radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week. Mm-hmm.